it's amazing to see our society embrace this change of technologies, right? Coming with a, a 20 RMB bill today uh, in China, in Beijing or Shanghai, people will look at you and say, why do you make me so many troubles? You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. Blockchain is one of the fundamental technologies that is driving digital assets as well as many of the other financial technologies. But really trying to understand this technology is a challenge and we're thrilled to welcome to the show Charles Dawsey. Charles leads Consensus for Asia Pacific and is also the author of Block Kong, where he profiles 21 different leaders in blockchain in Hong Kong. If you don't know the difference between middleware apps or infrastructure level blockchain, you will by the end of this episode. Welcome to Crypto Savvy. I'm Walter Jennings of Hashkey Group, and thank you so much for listening today. I am joined today by Charles Dawsey. He is Asia's managing director at the leading blockchain engineering company, Consensus. He is currently leading their projects on central bank digital currencies with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and Bank of Thailand. Before that, he served as head of fintech with the Hong Kong government and was the main driving force behind the founding and scaling of Hong Kong Fintech Week. He's also the author of Block Kong, a, bl a book about blockchain leaders shaping the Hong Kong blockchain ecosystem. Welcome to the show, Charles. A very good morning, Walter. Thanks for having me. Charles, can you um, tell us a little bit more about your career and background? Sure. I was uh, born in France. I've been living in Hong Kong for the past uh, 15 years. I discovered distributed system uh, when I was a student uh, 20 years or so. Uh, ago uh, and I was passionate about file sharing and file sharing infrastructure and one day I came across a white paper talking about peer-to-peer uh, -peer money uh, when I was actually very busy with peer-to-peer -peer file sharing and that was something which really resonated with me and that was a Bitcoin white paper so I spent some time on it keep growing my career also I was an entrepreneur for some time here in Hong Kong sold my business um, uh, did well after, after that in, uh, in fintech uh, before joining the Hong Kong government. And by 2016, I, I came back in the space of, uh, of blockchain and digital assets with, uh, with the birth of Ethereum. Uh, I thought it was really fascinating to see uh, the smart contract capabilities kind of sitting on the top of distributed system. And it, it was bringing much more use cases than just peer-to-peer -peer money. And uh, I decided after three years at the Hong Kong government uh, as head of fintech and co-organizer of, uh, of the Hong Kong Fintech Week to make blockchain and digital asset my career. So I joined uh, Consensus in, uh, in 2019 to essentially create the Hong Kong office and then also shape the, the teams here in, uh, in Asia Pacific. So we have uh, offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Australia and Japan. And, and what Consensus does is, uh, if people are not familiar with our, with our company, we are uh, dedicated to blockchain uh, engineering and, and blockchain infrastructure for the past six years. Uh, we, are created, uh, we were created by uh, Joseph Lobin, the co-founder uh, co of Ethereum, together with Vitalik Buterin. So we have a, a very deep knowledge uh, into the, uh, the Ethereum ecosystem, the Ethereum protocol itself. And uh, we are the company behind Metamask. I'm sure uh, many people in the audience are, are using Metamask. Metamask is a consensus product, uh, but also Infura, Consensus Quorum, which is a, a blockchain for, for enterprise stack, uh, as well as uh, many other application uh, layer products, such as Codify, for example. 
Well, you're the perfect person to ask because we've been talking about blockchain for so long, and I certainly know that there are layers in blockchain. You've got your kind of your infrastructure level, which uh, people would know as Ethereum, and then you've got middleware and apps on top. So we've talked about the infrastructure level of Ethereum, and you've talked about an app such as MetaMask. Uh, where else is consensus involved in blockchain? What is fascinating at, at Consensus is we're involved in the full stack. So we start from the protocol itself. We created uh, what, uh, what, is, what was Pegasus at the time and now called Hyperledger Bezu, which is an Ethereum client for enterprise, uh, which we uh, donated to the Hyperledger Foundation uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, so we work at the protocol layer. We were heavily involved in the EIP 1559. Uh, we also have uh, an Ethereum 2 client uh, to prepare for the merge and the Ethereum 2 uh, generation of, uh, of Ethereum, uh, Ethereum systems. And then we have this middleware uh, this middleware software which we call Codify Orchestrate to help you connect your applications with the blockchain. So the blockchain records transactions, the blockchain computes uh, as well smart contract uh, transactions, uh, but there is always a need for a middleware. It's a bit technical, but this is where there is a, a lot of demand from the developers. A middleware to connect these blockchains, should they be public blockchains or private blockchains, with the application layer. And on the top of the application, then you've got the clients. So the, the, the wallet, for example, uh, MetaMask is a great example. MetaMask have been going through a, a massive growth uh, in, in the past 12 months. So last summer, July 2020, uh, MetaMask was about 1 million users. Uh, one year later, we, have, we, we passed uh, 10 million users now. So that's more than 1,800% of growth and it's really showing how the ecosystem has been has been growing how how the users are are, are joining and they come from many different uh, use of course we still have a, a very big herd of uh, of developers building the applications and building products on uh, on blockchain but we've got the defi users about 4 million defi users now in uh, in the ethereum ecosystem and of course, the NFT has been bringing a lot of new new users as well. Charles, uh, for those who aren't familiar with MetaMask, that is a wallet product that is uh, very popular for those who are buying and selling NFTs. Um, it connects easily with a, a main auction house called OpenSea, um, and it's a it's a very handy and clever um, and intuitive interface. Absolutely, uh, MetaMask is available for your desktop. For uh, it's available on mobile as well, and it's really like your your, your gateway to all the digital asset world. Uh, should you be uh, involved in DeFi, in NFTs, it's really a very handy tool for, uh, for, for the people involved in the space. Now, I don't want to get off the blockchain subject. Sorry, we haven't really dived <laughs> deep enough yet. Now, there are different types of blockchains. There's public, private, consortium and hybrid blockchains. And then there's also public and private blockchains. Can you walk us through these different models? Sure. Essentially, we, the ecosystem, are building the new generation of Internet, the Web3. So if you want to look and understand and, and kind of do a taxonomy of, uh, of the different networks on, on blockchain in general, you can clearly relate to how the Internet was built uh, some years ago. So the Internet started with a, a series of intranets. So there was university intranets, and eventually over the years, all these intranets started to connect uh, with one another. Uh, over a protocol called TCP/IP, uh, and then it became the internet. So we went from intranet to internet. So Cornell University opened up to Ithaca College, which opened up to the La Sorbonne, and suddenly you have all of this going from small networks to bigger. 
Exactly. And the same is happening with blockchain. So we've got technologies which started with a private setup. So it was a small network with a, what we call a permission network or, or a private network. And then you've got also the main net, which is a global network of Ethereum. Uh, and it applies also to some other technologies. The beauty of Ethereum today, it's, it offers uh, an enterprise-grade software, so it's, it's really reaching this level of maturity. And you've got the opportunity to deploy Ethereum in a private context, where you've got uh, everything in order uh, to comply with regulation, for example. But you get also a very, very smooth and native connectivity to the global network of Ethereum, which op offers you the reach that your application or your business would, uh, would expect. So we see a lot of, um, uh, in the CBDC space, for example, or the stablecoin space, part of the transactions or part of the, the flow of this, of this product, uh, such as CBDCs, is happening on private network, and then they connect to the, to the mainnet very natively. So for cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin or Ether, what type of blockchains are they built on? So they're, they're built with the same principle of different clients starting to connect with, uh, with, with, with each other. Bitcoin is on the Bitcoin blockchain, obviously, but uh, a lot of the CBDCs today are built on the top of Ethereum. Uh, usually they will be using uh, uh, consensus quorum with a Bezu version or, or sometimes uh, some other clients. And then they, they will have architecture which allows them to get uh, the minting of the CBDCs between the bank and the central banks made in a, in a private manner. And then the opportunity to connect to the, to the mainnet if they want to circulate to, uh, to a larger extent. You don't build central bank digital currencies the same way you build stablecoins. They are a little bit different in terms of design, in terms of regulations as well. And that's really a, a fascinating space which, which, uh, which is happening. We are really reinventing money here. Our money is constantly reinventing itself. But I think CBDCs are really, uh, really bringing us uh, a very strong endorsement uh, for the technology itself uh, from top government entities. Okay, I will come back to CBDC or central bank digital currency, but I haven't quite exhausted blockchain. Now, my mother is 80-something, or um, sorry, Joan, um, didn't mean to, to out you there with your age. Uh, how would you explain blockchain and its immutability and what makes it so special? Is it the multiple contracts that get written? If I was to, to meet your mom, and I wish I can some days, I would not go into, into too much technical explanations. It's, it's very easy to get lost into the distributed databases and everything. I would more go into uh, the explanation of a paradigm in, in the way the world builds trust between individuals and organizations. Uh, today we have an internet which is doing fantastic, and, uh, but it's really run by uh, a few companies, cloud service providers, uh, social media uh, service providers, and this has some limitations. It brings also some, uh, some, uh, some challenge with the data, uh, some challenge with the privacy, some challenge with uh, censorship to a certain extent as well. And, and what is blockchain? It's uh, essentially building the new generation of, uh, of internet, which allows much more uh, trustless relationship between people, much more ownership of the data, as well as much more direct connect connectivity between users without having a company or a large corporation in the middle. So it's a new experience of digital life, and essentially blockchain is the infrastructure for this new digital life we are, we are building right now. So in some ways, a blockchain is disintermediating or disrupting traditional internet? Absolutely. And uh, the, the first generation of Internet was all about content. You were consuming web pages in HTML. Second generation was a social Internet uh, with the birth of, uh, of Facebook and many other social media. And the third generation of Internet is really about uh, this blockchain infrastructure, which allows you to have trustless uh, transactions and communication with billions of users uh, all over the world. 
staying in blockchain for a moment, we talk about enterprise solutions or enterprise blockchain. Uh, help us define that. Sure. So when, when you're an enterprise, you, you approach blockchain in a in different way and you're, you're building essentially a, a base for your business to migrate in. And when you, when you, when you go in, in blockchain as an enterprise, you want to get services, you want to get software with a, a level of maturity, you want to get support uh, so that you can, uh, if, you, if you run your business 24 hours a day, you will not end up into a, a community forum or a Discord channel to get, um, to get your, bug, uh, your bug fixed. Uh, so that's what enterprise blockchain is about. An emphasis on, on continuity of the business, on privacy, on security. And this is uh, one of the services Consensus is helping as a market with, is really bringing this uh, step-up work and quality of, uh, of services and product at the enterprise level so that the enterprise can, can be uh, much more involved and, and starting to deploy uh, their business uh, on blockchain business networks. Now, I understand one of the many features of blockchain is its transparency and data immutability, meaning there are no do-overs. Uh, every transaction is recorded clearly on the ledger and it's nearly impossible to tamper with those. How is blockchain used as a tool to help them build trust with their stakeholders? Blockchain affords you a better management of the data. So you, you mentioned uh, immutability. It also affords you um, uh, multiple opportunities to automate business processes. Uh, so if you look at capital markets, for example, you can think of uh, delivery versus payment, uh, replacing the broker roles, and it also offers you composability. Uh, since the platform start to get much more independent working on blockchain and working with smart contracts, you can start to have much, much better business flows as well as business automation. Um, using composability. So if you think of finance, you, you, you have this concept of money Lego, where if you do a, a lending, a lending transactions, you will get a proof of your lending transactions. So we know you have, like, for example, $10,000 being lent uh, on a DeFi protocol. And you can use this proof to, to, to build another transaction, so use it as a collateral uh, for uh, some, other, um, some other transactions later on. So this composability in your business flow is something very, very new. And that's helped the, the businesses to rethink their business models, to re-optimize their business models, because you get now uh, the, uh, all the systems which used to be in silos between banks or between enterprises suddenly working on a shared ledger, which is a blockchain. What do you think is standing in the way of blockchain reaching its full potential? Is there, you know, is it a, just a case of more knowledge and adoption? I think we, we are doing very well already. Today there is about uh, 200 million users of crypto in the world, about 170 million uh, Ethereum addresses, 4 million users of DeFi, uh, there is a, a large number of stable coins, so the technology is definitely progressing uh, at really exponential pace. Uh, so it's, it's, it's all a matter of building more bandwidth on those networks. I think uh, bandwidth is, uh, is, is important, uh, as well as uh, helping and designing products which will make people use blockchain without even realizing. Today, we are, we are probably not able to explain how our messenger is working or how my email is working. And it took some time for email to reach uh, everyone's mobile phone and everyone's digital life. And I think blockchain, by designing the right products, uh, will come in the in the on our digital life in a very smooth way. So we need to be patient uh, and design the right product so there is uh, the minimal friction and the minimal learning curve 
for the new entrants. I'm going to ask one last beginner question, and then we can dive into some of the more advanced subjects. But Go for it. Uh, Ethereum, which is a blockchain that your firm uh, is uh, very involved in and has a long history. Um, if you're going to use that Ethereum blockchain, you need a utility token. And can you explain what is a utility token and which one does Ethereum use? Sure. So the Ethereum blockchain is a, is a global blockchain, the mainnet. We call it the Ethereum mainnet. It's made out of about uh, 8,000 different uh, nodes. And there is uh, currently a consensus mechanism which is called uh, proof of work. We will migrate from proof of work to proof of stake early next year. But essentially there is, whenever you want to do a transaction, you need to essentially compensate these miners for ensuring the security of the network. You mean a miner, the person who is running the machine or the machine that is uh, recording the transaction? Exactly. Making So these machines are making sure the, the ledger is, is maintained uh, maintain, maintain the right way as well as the security of the network is maintained as well. So for to compensate this, this service, uh, you pay gas. And gas is paid in, uh, in IF. IF is a uh, is essentially the, the gas unit uh, for the Ethereum network. And so the same way you will put stamp in the letter you want to send from Hong Kong to New York. When you want to do a transaction on the Ethereum network, you have to pay some, some kind of stamps, if I can, may, if I can say so. Uh, and these stamps are essentially uh, gas, uh, which is uh, denominated in, uh, in, um, in IF. Uh, early next year, we are moving to IF2. So it's a new generation of if. So think of an upgrade of your computer, an upgrade of the software on your mobile phone, which will help everything to go uh, smoother and, uh, and go faster. And we will also, during this transition from if one to if two, we will switch to different consensus mechanism where we will not pay miners anymore for the, for, for the computer running and ensuring the security and the recording on the ledger. We will essentially move to a new consensus mechanism called, called uh, proof of stake. Which will, uh, which will essentially accelerate the network and also you will not need to compensate anymore computers and electricity bills but you will, uh, you will pay uh, a lower fee for people which are ensuring the security without running uh, noisy computers and, uh, and graphic cards but having a bond, so having a stake uh, and, and doing this pro processing. So this will, uh, this will help us to, to grow the network, move the network to the new generation and, and keep growing the Ethereum history and, and Ethereum bandwidth. Great, and well, I appreciated that explanation because to many uh, who listen, they assume Ether is just a cryptocurrency when instead it's a stamp that allows you to pay for a transaction on that network. But, a utility token. Yeah, it's a utility token. It is a utility token that allows you to work on the Ethereum network. But that Ethereum network is built, uh, has become so widely accepted and so, uh, so much in use that the value of that utility token is seen as having a higher value or some days a lower value. Absolutely. Now, uh, I want to move on. Um, and you mentioned CBDC or Central Bank Digital Currency. Can you explain to us what those are? Maybe we can start by the history uh, of CBDCs. In 2018 or so, Facebook announced their new initiative. At the time, it was called Facebook Libra. And essentially, it was money issued by the private entity as a, a, and, uh, and tell IT companies. And that was really much a, a wake-up call for many central banks, thinking that potentially some users will move away from the domestic and national currencies and essentially adopt currencies issued by uh, private entities. 
and that's this has a lot of repercussions for for private for for uh, for central banks think of monetary policy think of all the risks it might bring to the economic system if suddenly your money lose into uh, in terms of uh, of influence in the in the economy so the, a lot of central banks have then accelerated their work on uh, on cbdc's and central bank digital currencies to essentially make their currencies much more legitimate and influential in the new digital economy Uh, so today, about 80% of the central banks are working on central bank digital currencies. China is a great example, uh, which will soon be in production, I guess. But there is a lot of activities here in Asia. So here in Hong Kong, there is activities, for example, with uh, uh, the M-Bridge, uh, which consensus is the architect and builder, which bring together four different central banks with their respective uh, CBDCs and helping the commercial banks of these different countries to essentially build new use cases around a cross-border payment uh, for cross-border trade, uh, for uh, wealth management, uh, for multiple usage. So it's really, I would say, an upgrade also of the, uh, the system, the way, the way money works and the way the, the, the way, and the way the pipes for money are being built as well. It's a really strong endorsement for the technology itself And I think the impact of CBDCs is not really well measured by the market yet. But if you think about it, when central banks are inventing a new generation of money with the same legal tenders, the same guarantees as the paper money, but it's just much more efficient and smarter money, it will have uh, repercussions in all the value chain of finance and the economy. So just imagine you've got the same Hong Kong dollar or the same RMB, but this RMB is really, uh, I would say, Upgraded. It's like the new the new currencies. Money 2.0. Money 2.0. Uh, so it's it's really going to have impact on, on many different uh, different applications in finance, uh, and everyone will get to, to choose: Do you want the old money or do you want the new money 2.0? And and obviously there will be features, there will be benefits. So uh, all these currencies between the legacy currencies from the uh, from the central banks, like your your paper note or your coins, will remain, and I think they will live in parallel. But slowly, we're going to keep progressing into a cashless society. And the future of cashless society is uh, definitely CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. And, and governments are invest investing massively uh, here in Asia. So for us to move from our traditional paper money to a digital currency, it sounds like there is a lot of plumbing that needs to get fixed and a lot of rewiring of the financial institutions. And that's what's underway at the moment. Exactly. Here in Asia, to, to give you a little bit of sense of uh, what we're building at Consensus, we are building with the Reserve Bank of Australia uh, syndicated loans powered by CBDCs. Uh, we have some work with the MAS in Singapore. Uh, we worked earlier this year with the Bank of Thailand on retail CBDC application. And here in Hong Kong, we are building uh, the M uh, CBDC bridge, multiple CBDC bridge. And, and we are starting soon as well some works with uh, the Bank of Korea on scalability and privacy. So a lot of works, a lot of demand for this technology and, and definitely uh, a new infrastructure being built before our eyes where everyone will get the chance to starting to experiment uh, in a few years blockchain-based assets in the form of uh, the same currency you use every day on new rails. Yeah, no, and I think it's also not just a reprogramming of the institutions and the enterprises, but then there's got a societal implication as well. For those who haven't spent a lot of time in China, it is very difficult to spend cash in China uh, because the the economy and businesses have moved to kind of cashless payment with the wide scale acceptance of WeChat Pay, Huawei Pay, 
Alipay. So, you know, even uh, taxi drivers don't take cash. It's amazing to see how society embrace this change of technologies, right? And I agree with you, coming with a, a 20 RMB bill today uh, in China, in Beijing or Shanghai, people will look at you and say, why do you make me so many troubles paying in <laughs> cash, right? Yeah, Sweden, I also know, is very advanced in its uptake of mobile payments. Uh, how's Hong Kong doing? Hong Kong is... Hong Kong is doing very well in terms of payment. The reality here is we got digital money for 20 years. It was not exactly CBDCs, but if you look at the Octopus card, which has celebrated its 20 years uh, a few years back. For those not from Hong Kong, it is a stored value card that we use on MTRs or we use it in buying 7-Eleven. You know, it's a tap and pay system. You load it up and then keep tapping till it's gone. Exactly. So we have really a lot of different functionalities here uh, in terms of payment, and they are very, very advanced. So I think CBDC in Hong Kong for retail will, uh, will come. Uh, we've seen today at the Hong Kong FinTech Week some communication from the HKM about the eHKD, so some work in being, is being done. But I think there is some uh, very strong attention to be made on how you design this retail CBDC here in Hong Kong, given the very high performance of the existing payment systems we have today. And, and w something which will be very interesting uh, to watch, and I'm sure you're going to cover this uh, in, uh, in the podcast in the coming months, we've got stable coins, uh, we've got CBDC, so we've got a lot of new forms of money coming our way. And it will be very interesting to see how the market reacts and which, what the market will prefer between the original currency coming from central banks and stable coins coming from different entities. So you think uh, of the stable coins in the crypto space, USDT, USDC, and so on. But you can think also of stable coins which are coming in the wholesale uh, space for finance, uh, such as Project Partio in Singapore. Um, so it will be an opportunity for us to get more choice of currencies. And I, I really wonder how people will react. Will you take, for example, uh, uh, 7-Eleven Hong Kong dollar, if it ever exists one day, because it will have like better features and it will be more convenient, and maybe use another type of Hong Kong dollar uh, for maybe your financial life or your, or, or your stock trading. Uh, and this choice was not offered to us before. So I'm not saying it's coming in Hong Kong immediately, but there is definitely in the world different, different type of new type of money coming up and branded money is coming our way. So the jury is out uh, to, re to, to find out what will, which brand of money will be, uh, will be successful in which type of use case. And, and that will be really a, a fun and a very interesting play. Okay, I'm going to come back to branded money in a minute. But I just before we do, we had been talking about central bank digital currencies and um, the widespread acceptance. Uh, China, as I understand, has already been doing in-market tests with uh, the E-Yuan uh, or the E-RMB. Um, can you talk a bit about those? So China is, is a very interesting player in the CBDC space. So obviously there is a side of the Chinese market. They started in 2016 with experiments out of the uh, PBOC DCI, uh, Digital Currency Institute, which is a, a subgroup of the, uh, the People's Bank of China. And, uh, and they, chose, uh, they chose to start their journey on, on CBDCs very differently from the West. They started with one of the use cases, which is the most complicated, which is the retail CBDCs, looking at how you can use CBDCs at the retail level. If you look at the, the works of central banks in other parts of the world in the West, 
usually central banks will start with wholesale CBDC, so M0, M1 money, money which is distributed between central banks to commercial banks, whereas China started uh, with, with, uh, with CBDC, which will reach the retail users directly. Today, to the best of my knowledge, there is about 24 cities in China which have been experimenting with uh, the, the ECNY. Uh, and uh, about 50 million uh, wallets have been opened uh, during these experiments. And the word on the street is that during the, uh, the Olympics in a few months, uh, it's probably going to be aligned with uh, maybe uh, the launch of the ECNY locally. And it will be, it will be used by multiple companies. Uh, there, is a, there is a lot of features. And it's not an easy launch, I will say, because the Chinese market is already very well served by digital currencies. But it's, um, it's a very interesting move and uh, the numbers will be just massive. So my prediction for 2022, and let's talk about this next year when this happens or not, is that the Chinese CBDC transactions volume will surpass the global stablecoin volume within Q1 next year. And that's big numbers. Today in the stablecoin world, there is about 80 to 90 billion US dollar of stablecoins in circulation. They transact about 150 billion uh, per week. And my prediction is the Chinese CBDC, when launched, uh, will essentially just uh, dwarf these volumes, which are already very impressive. And it will be the first time you see an official government currencies surpassing in a, as a digital asset the volume of stablecoin. But let's see. Maybe I'm, I'm ambitious. No, no, I, I, I'm all for ambition. And just for listeners, ECNY is electronic Chinese yuan. Can you please define stablecoin for us? It doesn't sound like something from the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States. Exactly. So you, you've got two types of uh, digital money sitting on blockchains. CBDCs are obviously issued by central banks. So they are, uh, there is a legal tender with the central banks. Uh, but you've got also what we call private money. So it's, it's essentially people which will uh, take, let's take the example of, uh, of the Hong Kong dollar, for example, or the US dollar. You take one US dollar, you put it into custody, and you create a digital twin of this US dollar in the, in the blockchain space. So stablecoins are supposed to be backed by US dollar, right? So the, the value of a stablecoin is directly linked to the currency. So a US dollar stablecoin is one US dollar. Yeah, but then you have to trust the issuer of this stablecoin. With the CBDC, you trust the central bank. So, there so is the U.S. dollar stablecoin does not come from the U.S. government. That's correct. Okay, so these are private enterprises that say, back this, it will stay. Yeah, and then different companies will have different level of trust by the market. But that's essentially how it works. Okay, now, branded money. Mm -hmm. I, so if 7-Eleven were to create a utility token for use in its shop, that could be the equivalent of branded money? Exactly. So you can think um, maybe, maybe in the future, and it can be a close future, you might think that maybe you will use your Facebook dollar uh, for e-commerce, or maybe uh, Shopify will have uh, uh, his own US dollar, which will be optimized for the Shopify network. Uh, maybe you will buy dollars from... Uh, Spotify or any gaming uh, gaming uh, gaming company you like to to play with and and these currencies will be optimized for those ecosystem and they will have features for this ecosystem versus the official currency coming from from the central banks which have to go through all these pipes to reach your vendor or reach your wallet so branded money will come this way uh, it does not necessarily mean there will be a, a new logo on uh, on these, those currencies but they will be 
currencies or stablecoin issued uh, by, this, uh, by those companies. And they will certainly build features which will make them very attractive, uh, maybe higher uh, yield or, or faster payment or discounts. And so you will have to choose that. And uh, it's, uh, it's something which will be fascinating and is definitely coming our way. So if I were to, and this is hypothetical, um, have some either 7-Eleven coins or Cafe Pacific coins, those would could be traded elsewhere. But if I used them specifically within that group, within that brand, it would attract some premiums like perhaps access to a lounge or a free a free bottle of water with every purchase. Exactly. I think it's an upgrade from the reward systems. Okay, Charles, I have said that my 17-year-old, uh, when he is nearing retirement, his children will tease him that he's so old he used to use cash. I mean, uh, how many generations before we kind of see ourselves in a full CBDC world? As this will be only one. Only one. Oh, yeah, you will see CBDCs. We're going to use CBDCs. I guess for the wholesale market, uh, you give it uh, two more uh, two more years. And for the retail market, for a global, a global adoption, I will give it five years. I think it's going to go really fast. You know how this technology is? come into our life. Uh, just think how fast you, you kind of migrated to social media, how fast you migrated to messenger systems. So it's, uh, it goes really, really fast. So all of you out there, you're so old, you're used to cash. I mean, seriously, I mean, you're gonna, this is gonna, you're gonna outlive cash, right? So maybe, yeah, or maybe it's gonna be digital cash. Okay, Charles, thank you for that. That was a really excellent walkthrough in uh, CBDC, blockchain, um, and consensus. Uh, is there anything we haven't covered, at least in the company side? Because I've got a personal side I want to talk about in a moment. I would love to tell you about my book, Blockkong. Well, that's what I wanted to get to. We've hey, got it right here, here go. in the center of our uh, of our podcast booth. Now, this is a joint venture with James DiBiasio and yourself. And tell me about your book. The book came out of, uh, after my experience at the the Hong Kong government. I was uh, head of fintech for almost three years and I met many different entrepreneurs and helped them to come and grow their, their business here in Hong Kong in the fintech field. And within these fintech subcategories, I was in charge of with the team, there was blockchain. And I find that the blockchain ecosystem was rich of many different personal journeys and many people were coming from very different horizons and, and kind of converging and building in the, in the blockchain ecosystem here in Hong Kong. And, and I realized also that the world was not really aware that uh, a large part of the global crypto elite is actually based here in Hong Kong or have started in Hong Kong. Um, so I decided to write a book in a fairly creative way together with uh, James DiBiazzo, my, my co-author, which did a, a fantastic work in, uh, in, in, in guiding me in, in many, many aspects of this book. And the book is a fun read. 21 blockchain entrepreneurs in Hong Kong, and with every chapter is a is a different interview. Obviously, these interviews are made uh, around the breakfast in different parts of the city. So at the same time, you're meeting uh, really amazing and successful entrepreneurs from Hong Kong in the blockchain space. But you also discover every time a new restaurant and a new menu. So dim sum and blockchain. How about that? Fantastic. Well, uh, breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, so <laughs> I will, I've enjoyed it very much. Hey, we're at uh, FinTech Week now as we're doing this recording. Uh, can you comment on the city's blockchain development over the years? And what is it that makes Hong Kong kind of uh, such a, a creative tank for developments in blockchain and digital currencies? What I covered in the book is the first Bitcoin meetup 
here in Hong Kong was in 2013. It was a massive success. Two attendees. <laughs> but we have to start somewhere, right? One year later, 2014, the financial secretary of Hong Kong started to mention into his blog post Bitcoin and explain that his views what it was a digital commodity. So 2013, 2014, the city was really already in advance at very high level of the governments. And then you have this entrepreneurship and this freedom you have here in Hong Kong to build businesses. So many people from the space f felt really uh, comfortable in building this new, this new generation. They started with Bitcoin, obviously. Ethereum started very quickly here also in, uh, in Hong Kong. And you've seen some of the major crypto exchanges starting here, as well as uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and companies. So since then, the, the, some of the giants in crypto have started or are built in Hong Kong. We've got three companies related to blockchain and crypto listed in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Many people don't realize that. And we have also a government which is working on CBDCs at really fast pace. So crypto and blockchain are two different topics, right? People might not be always comfortable with crypto, but they will be very comfortable with blockchain as a technology. So there is a lot of progress uh, which is happening here, and, and we are definitely uh, proud of uh, everyone who works here and, and next time you have the chance to visit Hong Kong, grab a copy of the book uh, join the community talk to people, we, we really have some of the giants here which are operating and it's, it's really super energizing uh, We'll include a link to Block Kong in the show notes below so uh, jump on Bookazine if you're here in Hong Kong to order or Amazon.com if you're around the world if it's available and if there are any problems drop me a note and I'll get you a copy Fantastic. Well, thank you, Charles Dawsey. I, I've really been wanting to have a blockchain expert on the show for some time, and you've really made it much more approachable. I had uh, my laugh of the day hearing about branded money, and I look forward to Gucci dollars one day soon. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great show here at the Hong Kong FinTech Week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope my mother and your mother better understand blockchain now and central bank digital currencies and many of the developments powered by the new technologies that underpin fintech. Thank you to Charles Dawsey for joining us here on Crypto Savvy. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe. This is Crypto Savvy and I'm Walter Jennings of Hashkey Group. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials, brought to you by Hashkey Group.